Father's Day is just around the corner and you probably need a gift for a hairy dad. Make your dad proud this year and get him and yourself the Manscaped Lawnmower 4.0. You heard that right, the Lawnmower 4.0, launching on May 5th. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code MANAGINGMADRID at manscaped.com. Manscaped is the only men's brand dedicated to below-the-waist grooming and is launching their Lawnmower 4.0. Imagine surprising your dad with a sleek, well-designed, and optimized body hair trimmer that says, and quote, your balls will thank you, on the box. Their fourth-generation trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin-safe technology. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code managingmadrid at manscaped.com. Get your dad a gift you know he will use. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code managingmadrid. Don't forget that you came from your dad's balls. This year, show your original home some love with Manscaped. Nice article in the Managing Madrid uh, blog. Wonderful lads that do a great job there. And worth reading about that man there. Karim Benzema needs to rest and the numbers reveal why. Welcome to a rare Monday edition of the Managing Madrid podcast. We are here on part one of basically a trilogy of podcasts that come out today, tomorrow, and Wednesday. So we're kicking it off today on Monday with a loan tracker. Loan tracker is usually over on patreon.com slash managingmadrid, but we wanted to do this one for free because we have two big patron shows coming up Tuesday and Wednesday. We have a Chelsea preview with uh, myself, Kian Sobani, Jose Perez, and Alison Bender tomorrow, and then Wednesday we are doing the Zoom. Those, those have been a huge hit, the Zoom post-game podcast. So myself, Matt Wiltsey, Om Arvin, we're going to be live on Zoom. If you want access to that, go over, go over to patreon.com slash managingmadrid. Uh, but today, we're here, we are here to discuss all of Real Madrid's loanees on our weekly loan tracker. And there's no one better on earth to help me do, do that than Matt Wiltsey, who is also here. Matt, how are you, my friend? Hey, AK, I'm doing well. Yeah, usually we're used to saying Tuesdays, Tuesday Loan Tracker, but uh, we're, we're going Mondays for now. Yeah, for now. It possibly will be this way until the season ends, I'm not sure, just because of some scheduling things. Um, Matt, we have a lot to get through, so let's get right to it. We always start with Arsenal, so let's start there. Arsenal had two games since our last Loan Tracker, one a 2-1 two, loss to Villarreal at the Ceramica in the Europa League. First leg semifinals, and then they also beat Newcastle by two goals on the weekend. So both Odegaard and Ceballos played in both of those games. And up and down for both of them, to be quite honest, I would kind of hedge towards mostly down, but definitely spurts of up, <laughs> which is uh, something that I'd like you to help me elaborate on. But we, we don't have to start anywhere particular with this one. I think we can kind of lump it all together. But but Odegaard is just returning from injury, and uh, it was nice to see him back, if nothing else. But what did you think of Odegaard, first of all, Matt? Um, well, for once, I think Ceballos actually takes more of the talking points uh, for, for these two in both games. Um, but Odegaard, I thought, at least focusing on the Villarreal matchup first, I thought he was all right, kind of quiet. Like, you can tell he's still coming back from injury and so it's 
it's not the Odegaard seeing uh, pre that international break where he just absolutely destroyed West Ham and we're we're all lauding him as the return to the Real Sociedad Odegaard, but hasn't quite been that. But I still like you still see uh, he's always got such a silky touch and like always looks so good in, in tight spaces, and that was true of both the Villarreal game and the Newcastle game. Um, I guess I wanted to ask you on Villarreal's, I think it was their first goal. One of their goals. Was it, did you think it was, it was their first goal. Um, the one that three scored. Mm-hmm. Did you think that was Odegaard's fault? I mean, technically like if we're looking man for man, just marking technically it should have been Saka, but given that three kind of entered Odegaard's, zone uh and then nobody basically nobody tracks Trigueros and he got that free run and shot in the box like did you pinpoint Odegaard there interesting I if to me it was on Ceballos if anything do you so do you think that Odegaard should have been kind of there as coverage because he's mostly on the opposite side right yeah so basically Trigueros ran right by him and he could have just followed him into mm. the box but he let him go interesting so he opted and kind of for zonal so, marking there in that situation then then tracking his yeah name. and yeah exactly and so like and we know Arteta likes to keep Odegaard higher hedge him higher so that like when they counter or when they build out in transition they can just build out through him but I think in that type of situation where it's like the urgency and everything is kind of high alert, you just have to have to react. It kind of reminded me um, of the Real Betis goal from like one of the first few games of the season where Odegaard started. I think it was the second game and then Zidane pulled him off at halftime. And part of the reason why was because he let the man go on, on one of their goals. And so hmm. it kind of reminded me of that sequence. So uh, if you can, I'm watching it now, and Odegaard is, he's uh, definitely, out of all the players remaining when Trigueros gets the ball in the box, he's the one that has the biggest case to at least close him down. And so I yeah. see your point. It's funny, actually, that wasn't on my radar until you just mentioned it now. And I thought, like, when I was kind of looking at that goal, I thought Ceballos, the ball gets through Ceballos, right, on the right initially. On, on, Villar- on Villarreal's right side, I thought it was a bit soft mm-hmm. from Ceballos to kind of not be able to prevent getting that ball through. Um, it was Samu who was dribbling in that sequence. And I, I can't remember who the Arsenal player was who was with Ceballos on that side defending Samu because I just closed the tab. But Probably Shaka. Probably Shaka. It must have been, yeah, because he he's been playing left back. So yeah. Ceballos could have just been a little bit stronger in that challenge, I thought, and uh, to, to help prevent it. Since we're on the topic, so like I thought, like Odegaard, it's funny. Odegaard in these past two games, I wouldn't have labeled him as someone who I was impressed with. Like he's yeah. coming back from injury one, and uh, I believe he he actually made. We talked about his actual return last loan tracker, if I'm not mistaken, right? Because he made a cameo first before starting this game yeah. against Villarreal. We talked about that briefly, but the game against Villarreal was his first start. <clears throat> I thought, like, kind of the context contextually in this game, both teams pressed well early on and had trouble breaking the initial line until Villarreal were able to do it a little bit better as the game wore on. Part of that had to do with, like, Foyth, who was on the right side there for Villarreal. 
took it upon himself to break lines and dribble and kind of the stuff that I think Saka should have been doing, for example, and Pepe should have been doing more of. And Odegaard was good at leading that press in the first half. He had a couple nice interceptions. The other thing with Arsenal in this game, they were playing without a nine. So they weren't playing with Aubameyang or Lacazette. And Odegaard was expected to make runs into the box along with Emil Smith-Rowe as like target men in the box, but also defend deep and also lead the press. So he had a, he had more on his plate than like a, on his normal role. And but again, I and I don't think either in this game or the ensuing game against Newcastle he played that well. And I thought uh, against Newcastle, for example, he just wasn't as involved as he was, or as like Arsenal kind of funneled their their possession through Shaka and Ceballos on the left side. Odegaard wasn't that involved on the right side. But despite that, despite not being like the Odegaard we know, he had a game high in key passes, or he had a team, he had, yeah, he had a game high in key passes in both the Villarreal game and the Newcastle game. Three against Villarreal, five against Newcastle. And he also, um, he also was instrumental in Arsenal's second goal against Newcastle where he plays a beautiful pass to Martinelli. And just waiting to suck in a few defenders before he plays him. So he, despite not playing well, he he was one of the most important players on the, on the pitch for Arsenal. So I'll, that that's a good sign, an encouraging sign that even though he hasn't gotten going, he's still dominant statistically. That was a good sign to me. Yeah, and he, I mean, that was another hockey assist that you mentioned. So he, he's been grabbing a handful of those since since, since joining Arsenal, and I just felt like. If you look at his heat map from that Newcastle game, he was predominantly in the right half space. So he's playing a very similar role to what he played uh, at Real Sociedad. And Arsenal actually, Ceballos was playing like in the left half space. So usually they play a 4-2-3-1 with two double defensive pivot in the center mid. But Ceballos actually played pretty high up um, or higher up than usual at least. It was actually more or less on the wing. Like, he was playing like a left winger or left mid. And I was surprised. Like, I was just thinking to myself, as uh, a team facing Arsenal, I would just look to counter through the middle because Mohamed Elneny was the only one in there. And so he was all by himself having to to um, break up any play that came in through there. So, yeah. like, I would just put numbers in the middle. Um, but either way, like... I, I like Ceballos in that spot. I've said that before. I've said that on the podcast, and I actually thought he was pretty good um, in tight spaces. But he's still, like, I think it, one of our patrons, Leon Stavernakis, uh, reached out to me on Twitter just saying, like, he just looks, he doesn't look like himself. Like, where's this player from the U21 Euro that I'm used to and that, like, we all were so excited about? And I just feel like Ceballos has he's become such a systems player and such like a robotic player since joining Arsenal, like over the last two years, like he's lost kind of, I said, what I said to Leon was he lost, he's lost that like natural streets of Seville type play where you just like kind of off the, off, off whatever you can think of, like off, you just come up with whatever you can think of on the fly. Now it's just very systematic, very robotic play past lateral, get it back, play pass through. Like, I just, I kind of miss the old Ceballos. Different roles too. I mean, I, with, yeah. with, uh, with Betis and 
the Euro 21 team. He was allowed to do things he's not allowed to do at Arsenal. And things like incisive, mazy runs with the ball at his feet, breaking into the final third. Like at Arsenal, like he just doesn't really join the attack. Like in transition, he's asked to hedge deep. Like Newcastle was an exception to that rule, where, as you mentioned, El Neni was that kind of that guy who would sit deeper. And uh, I mean, part of the reason why they couldn't punish that also was because Newcastle are just so bad offensively. But um, yeah, different roles. So I think there's an alternate reality here, by the way, where if if Ceballos just continues to be in the team at Real Madrid and Lopetegui doesn't get fired, he has a more prominent role. Like there were performances under Lopetegui where Ceballos had still had that, right? Where he yeah, was like a funnel definitely. in possession. He he had he was uh, more dominant on the ball, using his vision because that that was one of the things that to me has evaporated really in this Arsenal stint has is his vision. Like he would play passes yeah. that like, no one else could see in the stadium but him. Uh, he would do that a lot in the Euros. Uh, but it's, yeah, I, I hope that uh, he recovers. Uh, but a lot of these players in the U21 team that I was high on just really haven't panned out. It's funny, Ohm uh, sent me this video that the Ringer did back in 2019 where they all sit in this like parody. It's like they all sit in this room. It's like this parody of Alcoholics Anonymous where they all go through and they talk very seriously about the the players that they had hyped up in the past that didn't pan out and they're like <laughs> grieving over it and they pass the mic. I, I thought it would be hilarious <laughs> if we did one of those for like Vallejo, for Ceballos, where like I just sit in the corner and I'm like, <laughs> I used to believe that Ceballos would be one of the best players in the world. Or, or like Ordeo Zola would be a good one too, where we just kind of go through and do that and we kind of cry over all these players we hyped up that didn't pan out. Ceballos, I hope... I don't know where the next step is for him. I mean, he he also had said this week, I think it was, or I don't know if he said it or if someone reported it. Maybe you would remember better than I. Maybe you even posted the report on managing, which I'm not sure, but that he's going to not return to Arsenal. He's going to come back to Real Madrid, which really that just means that he'll come back to Real Madrid only to sort out his future. So yeah. Um, do you think that Arsenal... Yeah is a place for him that he should return for his career or he should go and and look elsewhere? Because at Arsenal, at least he's playing. But do you think that there's a better situation for him? I mean, I I don't know. It's hard. I would would like to see him back in Spain. I think just uh, although La Liga has become a lot more pragmatic, if he can find a team, maybe even like Villarreal, it's kind of a mix of both. Emery obviously really liked him prior um or back home at real betis i mean they're playing really well again under pellegrini so there's there's different places in la liga i could see him sevilla even um those are all he would never go to sevilla though because of his ties to betis but i mean those are those are all like the style and the type i could see him meshing in well maybe better um playing to his his abilities than being kind of this robotic player in Arsenal system. But um, just kind of back on the topic of the U21, I mean, I think, one, I think that's hilarious. And two, I was actually <laughs> talking to one of my friends um, about, like, because we we're, we we're actually talking about Ceballos because he's an Arsenal fan, and he's been a little disappointed himself. And I was, we were talking about how he was so good and both times in the Euro, Euro U21 because he played in that tournament twice and like was twice the best player 
and uh, it's just sometimes I think we have to recognize that the gap between the U21 level, even at that international level, and like the the big time is still a massive, massive gap. Well, I actually think the Sevilla stint or the Sevilla idea is a f- perfect for, fit for him. Think about it. I do too. Like it just the, sucks he would never do it. <laughs> maybe he would. I don't. I mean, it's a fair point to no, say I've that he would. I've heard him in interviews. He would. He won't. Things He'll change. I think things change. <laughs> I think like enough time passes, enough money gets thrown around. Lopetegui is there. Lopetegui loves Ceballos. You know, it'll like football just moves. Like who would have thought Inigo would go to <laughs> Athletic Club? You know, from Real Sociedad, yeah. you know, things like that happen. Who would have we'll thought see. Marcos we'll Llorente see. would have gone to Atletico Madrid with all his lineage and Gento and all those, yeah, all the true. history. Um, anything remaining from Ceballos, Odegaard, Arsenal? I, I would well, just say, Matt, like, I think Villarreal botched this a little bit. They were firmly in control. They were the better team. And then all of a sudden, like, while they're in control, they're up 2-0. There's a turning point. Where uh, I think it was Obama Yang who has a huge chance. He gets the ball and he has a great chance in the box. And then he, he misses that. And then all of a sudden, there's a penalty for Arsenal. Pepe scores that. I thought it was a little bit harsh on Trigueros, but because um, he had his foot planted already when Saka fell over it. Um, but that's maybe a different discussion. Then they have the Kapua red card. Sorry, I don't know what what I'm trying to what, why I said Obama Yang had a chance. That makes no sense. I totally meant Gerard Moreno missed a big chance to make a three 0 <laughs> So instead of that, he misses it. That gives Arsenal a lifeline to be, instead of three three nil down, then they get a penalty. They're two one down, and then uh, Kapoor gets the red card, and it bounces out a little bit later when Ceballos gets a red card. That's a that's a big talking point. So. All of a sudden, instead of being up 3-0 in the second leg, they're going back to the Emirates w- with a 2-1 lead. No Kapue, and I just read fourth is injured for that second leg. I just feel like Arsenal shouldn't be in this, but they're in it now, and um, which is great. Yeah, I mean, I we want them, Arsenal to get in the final for loan tracker purposes, but Villarreal had this. I, I, I think they, they, they put, t- t- took their foot off the pedal in the second half, and now they're in a tricky situation. Classic. Classic Emery, classic Emery. That's true. Um, but yeah, I agree. And I uh, just two things to finish this out. One, um, I think that Foyth loss is a huge one because he was destroying Ceballos in transition. Like, so again, we talked about it last podcast, how Ceballos, when he has to turn his hips and actually chase after someone, is just so slow and unathletic that he gets found out. And Foyth just burned him so many times. Um and then, of course, the Ceballos red card, I wanted to ask you, did you think that was harsh? Because I thought that was really, really harsh. Yeah, it was. It was harsh and um, and just kind of funny in a way because he actually didn't have a bad game in this game in particular. He wasn't bad. Like his, I don't think he was great. He was, it wasn't like terrible. Um, he did get burned by fourth. You're right. He did have a couple overhit through yeah. balls. But I think like his whole Europa League run, which we had talked about the week prior, was that <laughs> he's just 
he's been okay, and then he just has a disastrous moment, whether it's an own goal or a yeah. terrible mistake or a back pass, and then he gets a red card. Just been a disastrous Europe, Europa League campaign for him. Um, I also think, like, I don't know what's going on with Thomas Partey, but he's been he's been a little bit underwhelming too the last couple of games, and they really need him to be a little bit better than he is. But um, you know what's funny? I, I From all these Arsenal games I'm watching, I usually come away with the most impressed I am by, of anyone is Smith Rowe. I just really like his game. I think he's just so strong on the ball. He's he's he makes the right call. There's a little bit of De Bruyne in him, in that he's a little, he's like a train moving forward with the ball. Like it's hard to take the ball off of him. He's so quick. He's so strong. So I, I've I've really enjoyed Emil Smith Rowe. But yeah, um, I think Arsenal Arsenal just put themselves in these weird spots. But a, a good a good win over Newcastle, who aren't in a good spot. But yeah. Any other concluding thoughts on Odegaard or Ceballos? Or should we move on? No, I think I think that's it. All right. Gareth Bale is the man of the hour currently. So <laughs> a hat trick against Sheffield United. Sheffield, uh, yeah, Sheffield United. And um, just to, like all his goals were really pretty. Like a lot of vintage yeah. Gareth Bale goals. Granted, he it was bad defending on almost everything that Sheffield did. And Sheffield United are terrible. They have... I believe the worst defense in the league, and it's not even close. Um, and West Brom are, are worse. Sorry, West Brom are worse. So bad team, bad opponent. Great Gareth Bale performance. Regulon also played in this game. Did you have anything on Gareth Bale or Regulon in this game? Yeah, I mean, just to further support your point, Sheffield were awful, like awful, awful, awful. But um, that being said, not taking away anything from Bale, he looked. What I, what surprised me was just how fast he looked. He looked really fast. He could change speed, um, just kind of like the old Gareth Bale. Um, and I thought his first goal, really good recognition, really good run. And uh, I think most people would have taken that with their right foot because it would have been more natural, even if it's your weak foot. But uh, he got away with it, kind of lobbing it over the keeper with his left foot. Um, second goal was just brilliant. He was fed through, had plenty of acres of space to go one v one with the keeper and just clinical finish. And then the third goal, I felt the third goal was my favorite. Like he just total confidence takes a shot from outside the box and uh, really, really nice. Um, Gareth, Gareth Bale now goals per shot in the league leads the Premier League, point three one. That's top of the top of the league. Also the best goals. Goals per 90-minute ratio. He's kind of doing what Son and Kane were doing earlier in the season with his efficiency. So he looks he looks great. He looks efficient. And, uh, I mean, but th- that's the thing. Games like this are what he's made for in the sense that it's a dream for him to have this kind of space. Not to say that he, yeah. he only shines in these, these games that are looking against terrible opponents. Obviously, he has a big game track record. There's no no question. But these are the games that, you know, essentially that he can rack up rack up the stats. So do you do you feel like drinking any Kool-Aid and saying that this guy might actually help us in the right wing or can we just move past that idea? Yeah. I'm, I'm still past that idea. Yeah, no. same. All he this is good for, for Tottenham year, being convinced. Yeah. Yeah. So... Uh, what about regular? Anything on him? Uh, not really. I mean, he was involved in the attack just because Tottenham had all of the ball. 
there was a couple sequences where I thought he was completely out of sync defensively with Dyer. Um, and, I mean, they just need to improve on that. It's just simple as communication. Um, but other than that, not, not much else. Luka Jovic did not play uh, over the weekend. Uh, well, Frankfurt didn't have any games. Borussia Dortmund played in the DFB Pokal Cup semifinal. 5-0 win over Holstein Kiel. I think uh, if I said that correctly, I'm not sure. But I was disappointed because if there's any game that you could play Rainier Jesus, is this game. Like, it, you're racking up the goals. It's, you clearly have a stronger team. You're going to win this tie. And uh, and Rainier Jesus only got like 25 minutes or so. And I, I feel like in those 25, 27 minutes, 28 minutes, whatever it was, you know, his passing was pretty much near near perfect because he had a lot of outlets, you know, it was a pretty comfortable game. I would have loved to have seen him start this game. Oh yeah, I mean we're still we're still waiting. We talked about it last pod. Will he start a match this season? It doesn't now. It doesn't look likely at all. This was the one chance, um, and he came in came in for Roos, played on the right actually, and like you said, good good touches, kept the ball. They were up five nothing when he came on, so not really much to do. Uh, he did have one shot that he got off. Uh, decent, decent opportunity. So, um, hopefully, they somehow secure their their Champions League qualification early, and he can maybe get a start in like the last game of the season or something. Takafusa Kubo got about five minutes in Getafe's one 0 loss to Villarreal and had five touches. Do you have anything else on him? I actually do. He actually was Beautiful. pretty. Um, he was pretty productive in his five minutes um and so this is everyone should remember this is against Villarreal his former club against Emery um and I'm sure he was he was a little annoyed that he only got five minutes but he nearly made an immediate impact he played uh an, a really nice final ball from the right side of the pitch to Cucurella in the middle uh middle of the box and Cucurella took a shot that ricocheted off a Villarreal defender and nearly went in. So it was almost uh, an equalizer. They were down one nothing at the time. And then um, the final sequence he had, literally was the last 30 seconds of the game, he gets the ball just outside the box and chips a through ball over top of the Villarreal defense. And I believe it was Gerard Moreno who nearly got a foot on it and would have been literally a last-second equalizer, but uh, didn't materialize. But either way, I mean, good for him for making an impact in that little limited time. Brahim Diaz also, similarly to Kubo, got limited playing time in a 2-0 win uh, for Milan over Benevento. Obviously, Serie A, the champion of Serie A, anyway, wrapped up. Uh, this weekend with Inter winning that. Shout out to Ashraf Hakimi, by the way, for uh, for winning yeah. his his first first uh, title with uh, Lone Tracker veteran. Lone Tracker veteran who recently said, who yesterday I think it was he said uh, that he wanted to come back to Real Madrid, but the club didn't want him. Uh, yeah, yeah. So Milan win two 0 against Benevento. They are. Still trying to ensure that they stay in the Champions League zone, zone with Napoli hot on their heels. And, um, yeah, I, I don't have much on Brahim either. He had limited touches in, in those those few minutes. Yeah, he's kind of fallen out of the rotation a little bit. Uh, but to 
that, like you said there, Keon, the most important thing to watch for Serie A right now is that Champions League finish. It is crazy tight. AS Roma, they uh, they had two games since our last loan tracker. I was actually trying to figure out which... I mean, I was pretty sure I was going to watch Villarreal Arsenal in that Europa League match day, but Roma and Manchester United play at the same time. But that choice was made pretty easy when Mayoral didn't even didn't even start that game. So Mayoral did not play in the 6-2 humiliation against Manchester United. So that's what you get, Fonseca. He did play kind of alongside Dzeko in a 2-0 loss to Sampdoria. I guess that's all. That's what you also get for starting Mayoral, apparently. And Jekyll, uh, who who um, who missed a penalty in this game, and I thought could have get got a pretty easy assist to Myral had he squared it on one occasion. Um, other than that, there's not too much on, on Myral in this game, and that well, you may have more. I'm not sure. Um, his movements remain good. He did have a shot that was blocked, that looked like it was goal bound, but other than that, I don't have much on Myral either. So yeah, I just have two opportunities. Two opportunities that he had. One literally in the first minute of the game, he set himself up, took two like sharp cuts with the ball, set himself up for a great opportunity, takes the shot, and uh, Omar Kali just comes out of nowhere to block it. And then he had another great opportunity that got blocked in the center of the box. I think you might have been re- referencing that one where. Um, Roma crossed it to a low driven cross and he first times the shot and it somehow somehow a Sampdoria defender gets their head on it and it looked like it was going in the top corner so it, I mean the game could have been completely different if they had taken those chances but ultimately Sampdoria won and uh, no no goals for Myral. Um Myral actually rounds out the loan tracker today because Jesus Vallejo is nursing an injury he did not play against Barcelona or in the loss against Cadiz. So, Vallejo leaves today's loan tracker unscathed, but we do wish him a healthy recovery. And, uh, yeah, do you have anything else, Matt, before I wrap it up, or are we good? No, I think we're, I think we're good. All right, everybody, we'll see you tomorrow on patreon.com slash managingmadrid for an epic two-part podcast and also on Wednesday for an epic post-game show, which either way, whether it's a, a win or a loss or whatever, Real Madrid advance, they don't advance. If they advance, it's going to be just this massive party, which you want to be a part of. And if they don't advance, it's just going to be this max, massive therapy session, which you should be a part of. So uh, we'll see you guys there. And Matt, thank you, my friend. We'll chat soon and take care. Thanks, Ken. Take care.